Do y'all remember this? What's number one? The Bible is our guidebook. What's number two? God loves us and has... What's number three? What's number four? We seek to honor God in all we do. And number five, local church, the hope of the world. And here's what I will tell you. If we believe those, I believe, and we will act like we believe those, I believe it can revolutionize and it will start in our hearts. It will move to the heart of our church family and move to the heart of our community. Now, here's what I'd like to do. By the magic of uh, uh, PowerPoint... Cameron's going to press that button one time, and we're going to wipe away everything, but I'll... Oh, we wiped that away. What's going to happen? Oh, it's going to come back center stage. All people matter to God. Tonight, we're going to look at James 1, James 2, 1 through 12. If you need a page number in your uh, pew Bible, it's page number 1025, but we're going to hold right there for a second because I want to talk to you about about this just for a moment. When I was in college... One of the most fun classes. Can you believe I had a fun class in college? No, okay. I had a fun class in college. You know what it was? It was acting one. Act, I just loved, it was funny. It was fun, 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 fun. But one of the things that Mr. Quave taught us in that class, and by the way, Mr. Quave was at Cary for a lot of years. He's now retired. And he really brought William Carey College to prominence with their theater department. He was absolutely a wonderful coach, wonderful instructor. And uh, um, one of the things that he taught us about that is that our inflection and our emphasis on a sentence makes all the difference in the world. For instance, all people matter to God. To God. You understand that the object there is God is the object. He's the one who cares about everybody. Then you can go, all people matter to God. Then you understand it's about his care and concern. There's some things that matter to you tonight. It matters to you. Whether your kids feel loved or not. Whether they have food or not. And in fact, it matters to you so much as a parent and or a grandparent and whatever else that you will do about whatever is required to take care of it. That's what matters. That matters to you. Amen? Well, some of you. I know one man told me today that he thought maybe it's going to be a couple thousand dollars out of his uh, uh, account to matter to some of his family, so it didn't matter so much. But you understand what I'm telling you, right? Matters. All people matter to God. Oh, people are God's crown creation. But watch this. All people matter to God. Everyone. Now, when I say all people matter to God, when we read it in our core values, when we understand it, that should be encouraging. But it should be, it probably is sobering and convicting at the same time. It should be encouraging because if all people matter to God. I'm a people, and I matter. To, I'm on God's radar. Y'all got what I'm telling you? But it should be. It's probably sobering for some of us, because that means people I'm not so sure about. God is. People out. You know, it's kind of like God loves them, and I'm trying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, we've got a bunch of real religious people here tonight. Okay. 
But those are the folks that get kind of sobering to think, you know, God, really, those folks matter to God. But there's a one that's going to be going to be worse than that, going to convict us. Those folks that have hurt me. Those folks that hold things over me and those thing, those people that want the worst for me. Those folks matter to God also. The people that don't matter to me matter to God. You see, the reason all the reason that all people matter to God is our third core value is because if all people matter to God and if and we are His, then by extension, all people should matter to us. And when we say all people matter to God, it reveals a little bit of the wickedness and the corruptness of our own hearts. Because unless you're a super spiritual person who will be honest, if you'll be honest, here's what the truth is. There are some folks that don't matter to us. One of the reasons I like the book of James, well, in fact, the whole Bible, but particularly the book of James, is because he just generally gives the truth and lets the chips fall where they may. Paul, James, the prophets, they do not water down the truth. They just kind of tell it. So tonight, let's read. Let's get us in front of us these 12 verses. James 2, 1 through 12. If you can, stand with me and let's read these together. Well, I'll read them if you'll just follow along. It'll probably get noisy in here if we all tried to read them, okay? My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring dressed in fine clothes and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes so that you say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, my prayer tonight is that you will take these words and penetrate our hearts with them so that we may hear from you. Change our lives and change our hearts in your name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to reread verse 12. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. You see, freedom and liberty seem to be a big deal to James because he's the only one in the whole Bible that mentions the law of liberty. And he mentions it two times in just a few verses. He mentioned it back in chapter 1. Now he mentions it in verse 2. Obviously, obviously, James was given a divine sense of release from the things that held him bondage, from those things that strangled hold uh, the faith, his faith in Christ. So tonight, let me just walk through this kind of quickly. I'm, I'm aware of what time it is. We'll go when we're through, okay? The first thing that I want you to see from the text is the principle. The principle. All people matter to God. Don't show favoritism. The principle. You know, when I read this, I'm reminded that every time that James wants to speak a word that he knows is not going to be easy to hear, he always begins it with a honey, a dear, a sweetie, my brothers, brethren, my dearly. And he begins chapter 2 with my brothers. He wants them to know that even though this is going to sting a little bit, that he still is part of the family. He still loves them. He wants them to be built up and not um, put down. And he says, brothers, hold on to your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. Whew. He jumps right to the, for the juggler, doesn't he? No favoritism. Now, this favoritism, this goes by a lot of names. It goes by the name of partiality. It goes by the name of discrimination. It goes by the name of... Uh, um, Bigotry, it goes by the name of favoritism, prejudice, and even bias. And when the sin of preference, the sin of favoritism, the sin of bigotry and bias comes into our lives, you know what follows? What follows is that we begin to judge other people, and we judge by our standards. And by the way, this is for free. You will not find this in the Bible. This just happens to be your pastor's opinion. But you know why I believe Jesus tells us not to judge? Because we don't have enough information. You know, if you're going to judge something, you better have the whole scope of information. And most of the time, we don't have enough information. Case in point, Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a man being on a commuter train in the Northeast, and he had three kids under about the age of eight. And they were running wild. Rather a long commuter train run. And they just kept running crazy. And he was sitting back there looking out the window, not paying them any attention. Well, can you imagine? They were, don't touch me. Can I have your drink? Do you know what I'm talking about? But he was just ignoring them. And everybody was getting upset and rowdy. And they get mad at him, mad at the kids, mad at the world. By the way, nobody makes you mad. You choose to get mad. <clears throat> Finally, somebody said something to the dad. Said, you better get a hold of these kids. And he goes, oh, my kids? I'm so sorry. You see, my kids and I have just come from the hospital. And their mother just died. 
of a long illness. And I know that they can't understand what's going on. They're all confused. And I was just sitting here trying to figure out what the future held for me. Now all of a sudden, the opinions have changed. And people begin to take the little babies and kind of play with them and tend to them. Because now they had full information. The truth is, we can't judge because most of the time we do not have the full information. The principle here is this. Don't judge. Don't show favoritism. If you really want to do what the Lord's called you to do, place your faith in Jesus for salvation. Focus on Jesus as your example and forsake the status signs that we see around us. Now, I just, this is just me. But as I read this, this passage of Scripture, James, to me, does not leave anything to our imagination. He tells us, don't commit the sin of partiality, favoritism, bias, discrimination, bigotry in any form. And he doesn't leave anything to the imagination because then he paints the picture. He paints number two, the picture. And he says, tells a story. Brother Terry, I don't, you and I haven't talked about this, but I think he may have seen this in one of the uh, uh, churches. That a rich man came in and that a poor man came in. The rich man got everybody's attention while the poor man was kind of cast off to the side. You know what the truth, you know what the truth is when we read Verses 2 through 4, the truth is there's enough, there's enough tough stuff in here that it reminds me of people when they go out of a service. They go, I'm glad I had my steel-toed shoes on. Or more often than not, somebody will say, boy, my toes are blue. You see... James put it all on the line. He said, here's what you're doing. You find people who are like yourself. You find those wealthy people, and you treat them great. And the poor people, you treat like dogs. I heard that an interim pastor, interim being the operative word there, interim pastor was going to preach on this text in kind of a high society church. Do you know what I mean? A high society church. Do you not know what I mean? Okay, just making sure you were awake. And what he did is that that Sunday morning he got in his study and he, and he dirtied his face. He didn't shave for two days before Sunday. He got on his dirty work-in-the-garden clothes. He got his big floppy hat on and nobody could tell who it was. And he walked in the back door and he sat down just before the service. Well, can you imagine? Hello? Can you imagine the whispers? The stairs. Maybe somebody even made an ungodly suggestion. Just after the music started, he got up and he exited the back door. Walked around the building into his private study, which was just off the worship center. He didn't change his clothes. He didn't wash his face. And he walked in to his chair on the platform and sat down. And then he got up and he preached like that. And he talked about 
I came in. And how was I received? I believe he had their attention that day because they couldn't say he was talking about something that was not their sin. The truth is, when I think of that, and I think of this rich poor issue, and don't hang and hang on, that's not all it is. That's just the illustration, the picture that he painted. When I think of this, you've heard me say many times that had Jesus been a Baptist preacher or a Baptist, quite likely when the when he gave when he laid it out for the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler turned to walk away, Jesus, the, if he had been a Baptist preacher, would have said, "Wait a second, man." Come back here. We can work this out. I don't want to offend anybody. We can work this out. You see, the truth is, God looks on the heart. It's man that looks on the outside. Man makes their judgment of what they can see on the outside, and God looks on the inside. And when you look on the inside, a lot of times the rich people, and that's what it says in the Scripture, all they want to use their wealth for is they want to use it to hold it over you. They want to get their way with you. You see, there's a tendency today to see people. Now hear this. There is a tendency today to see people for what you think they bring to the table. And here's what I will tell you. In the family of God... No one has anything he can bring to the table. Everybody comes the same way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come the same way. Now there's one more thing before we pass this picture. He is dealing with the rich poor issue. But it can also be a cultural issue. It can also be a racial issue. It can be a relationship issue. It can be many more type issues. But the truth is, while we could give no end to illustrations of this truth, understand that it doesn't matter rich, poor, thin, fat, red, yellow, black, white. All people need the Lord. Now, you know, little kids pick up things pretty quickly. Thirty years ago, we were in a church that shall remain nameless to protect the guilty. Had a huge bus ministry. And so you know what came in on the bus ministry? Some little Afro-American children. And we had some folks that went into orbit. Of course, let's don't be too arrogant. If Hueytown Baptist is like most Baptists in the 70s, it was a closed-door mentality. It's sad but true. And so when I heard the furor going on in my normal, very compassionate, laid-back way, I was the music director, I had a little group, and we were singing together, and they got to talking about it. I said, yeah, you know, why don't we sing this song? We're supposed to sing the following Sunday. Why don't we sing this song? And they said, what's that? They sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. White and white and white and white, they are precious in his sight. Well, one of the ladies that were singing in the group with me went home, and she thought it was so funny. She was standing in her kitchen sink. And she and she just she, 
And she said, I laughed at myself thinking about it because how ridiculous it is that God only loves white people. And she said, <clears throat> I was just sitting there at the sink and I was, and I sang it. White and white and white. And she said, my granddaughter walked up behind me unbeknownst to me. And she said, Graham, sing that for me again. And she said, okay. And so she sang it the right way. Oh, no, Graham, not like that. I liked it the other way. You know what I, you know what I take from that? It takes only a little misinformation for those young minds to get started off on the wrong road. Whether it's in church or any other way. The picture is, if when people come into the, into the body, that we need to be receptive. We do not need, God is not a respecter of persons. You can find that at least three times in the New Testament. God is not a respecter of persons. Neither should we be. We should share the gospel and love one and all the same. Now, we've seen the principle, we've seen the picture, and how about the problem? How about the problem? What in the world is the real problem? Well, when you get to verse 5, when you get to verse 5, you begin to, to see some of the things that Paul, is heart, his heart is set on, and it says, listen, my dear brothers, here he goes. It's going to be something else. Big time. Didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That he has promised to those who love him. Yet you dishonor the poor man. I just, I'm going to give you three problems up here that, that relate to this. First off, first off, we don't see things like God sees things. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. Man looks selfish. God looks selfless. Man looks uh, in a uh, um, sinful way. God looks in a righteous way. We don't see things the way God does, so we don't respond like God does. second thing is we don't understand things like God understands things. You see, God confronts sin. We tend to overlook it. I've already said this in the rich-poor scenario. Rich people, that's what it says right here, they'll use their riches to oppress you, to drag you into court. And you know what else they'll do? They'll even blaspheme the name of Jesus. You see, the very reason a rich person, a well-off person, has problem with real faith in Jesus Christ is because they don't need anything. They can put their faith in their bank account. They can put their faith in their house. They can put their faith in their possessions. Most of the time, given a choice, the humanistic response will be to put our faith in ourselves instead of our Savior. Now, folks, we should count the cost, but here's what I'm going to tell you is that the wealthy have a problem stepping out on faith. You know what they want to see? They want to see an Excel spreadsheet with the bottom line telling us that it'll work. How many times have I seen churches come to uh, pivotal points, defining moments, and when it wouldn't work on the bottom line, they walk away from it. You see, let me tell you, God takes what little bit we have and he changes the bottom line when we follow him. That being said, I will tell you that in two weeks, two weeks from this morning, First of all, we have business meeting Wednesday night. And we'll be just telling you some of the things that need to go on in, this, in our building. And these have not been good financial days for our fellowship. We are paying bills and 
keeping our head above water, but we have some things in this building that have gone unaddressed for a number of years. Week from Sunday, we'll be talking about, Wednesday night, we'll be mentioning it, talking about it, kind of getting on board. And Actually, I'm planning on having Brother Terry, chest of Joash up here. Now, I'm going to tell you how, how people responded to the chest of Joash, even in difficult days. They gave until the leaders finally said, Don't give any more. Can you ever imagine the preacher telling you that? No? <laughs> Obviously, that's a wish because it didn't hit you like it did me, okay? The truth is, the truth is, is that the wealthy have a problem walking in faith and the poor have nothing but faith to walk in. We don't see things like God does. We don't understand truth like God does. And finally, we don't respond. We don't respond to people like God does. That's the problem. Our human tendency is to respond to people based on what they can do for us as opposed to what we might do for them. Every person needs the same thing. Did you know that? Every person needs the same thing. Your neighbor needs the same thing. Your neighbor on one side needs the same thing your neighbor on the other side does. Your mama needs the same thing your sister needs. And you know what it is? It's a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. God doesn't respect a pharaoh or a king any more than he does a normal person. He sees people in their heart. Now let's move to the penalty. Okay, let's say that, let's say that <clears throat> we do show discrimination. We do show partiality or favoritism. Look at verses 9 through 11. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law. Did you see that? If you show partiality, you're convicted by the law. You see, when I read verses 9 through 11 in their totality, I can find enough. Each verse is enough for a message all by itself. First of all, we learn that first of all we learn that to show partiality is to break God's law. You know what that may, you know what you are when you break God's law? A lawbreaker. You're convicted. You're a transgressor. And then he says, if you break them one, you break them all. Why is that? Because just like if you go out down uh, Brook Lane and you get caught speeding, and the patrolman, when he pulls you over, he says, uh, you're a lawbreaker, here's a ticket. And you go, whoa, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a lawbreaker. No, but you broke the speed limit, you're a breaker of the law. And you're guilty. You see, folks, the truth is, when I read this, and we're back here again. It says, uh, uh, you're convicted by the law of trans... What law is that? For whoever keeps the entire law, what law is that? 
yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, oh, we're getting here. Do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you don't commit adultery but murder, you're a lawbreaker. What law convicts us? It is the law of Moses. It is the law of God. Now what, what law is he referring to in large measure here? I think it's the royal law. But see, folks, there is that royal law is what Jesus said when asked the greatest commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus told a story, and it's everybody. Hello? It's everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, there's no way to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and at the same time, show favoritism. Oh, we love our family, we love our friends, we love those who are like us and those who like us. But it's impossible to love like Christ loved while at the same time showing partiality. And so, when we show partiality, you know what happens? We're convicted. You know what happens when we're convicted? Paul says it. We must, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. You see, the wages of sin is still death. To be convicted of the law is to be exposed to the point of being put to shame. A, a transgressor of the law is a violator of the law. Someone who's convicted. But listen, there will be a day of accountability. Now, I haven't brought much of this home to us, but let's try it just for a second. Brother Jerry, I'm saved, so I don't have to worry about being accountable. I've got the Greek word for that. It's hogwash. And if it's not hogwash, it's baloney. If we think that under the banner of God's grace and love and mercy that we can treat people like we want and never be accountable for it, we are kidding ourselves. If we think we can pick and choose, we are kidding ourselves. Brothers and sisters, I share this with you tonight. You will encounter people in the next couple of days who need a fresh touch from our Lord. Who need a gentle word. Oh, and some of them will not be rich people. They'll not be poor people. They'll just be people. You see, we should, we should classify people in two classes. Did you know that? Those who know Christ and those who need Christ. And with those who, when we come up on those who know Christ and they're going through a difficult time, we should be encouragers and helpers. And those who need to know Christ, we should be encouragers and helpers and lead them a little closer to faith in Christ. Are you doing that every day? Think about that person you ran into on Thursday or Tuesday. Think about that person that you know needs a word of faith. Did you do what God called you to do this week? So knowing that we're all eat up with sin, knowing that we all at some point in our lives show favoritism either toward our family or toward our friends or toward those 
who like us or those we like or those that are like us. And I want to end with the prescription. The prescription. Is it locked up, little man? Most of us, most of us take medication. How many folks take medication regularly in this room? Would you lift your hand? And that is why the uh, drug companies are making a killing. But here's what I want to say to us. Every one of us has the same spiritual condition. We are very much, we are very much given to the pull and the lure of this world. It's like a disease that don't want to let go. Yes, we may be saved, but as long as I've been saved, Satan's never left me alone. Can I get a witness? Satan comes after us and he wants to put us in bondage. I think that's very interesting because Paul, excuse me, because James has now mentioned a couple of times about the law of freedom. He's mentioned about the royal law. You see, the law of freedom is where we employ the, the royal law. And we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our neighbors, ourselves. And we get released from all the bondage. Verse 8 tells us, if, if you carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, you do well. Hey, anybody want to do well? There's your prescription. The royal law. Verse 12 then challenges us to act like people whom we know will be judged by the law of freedom. Remember this when somebody comes across your life you don't really care for. Sticking our nose in the air and um, acting like we're better somebody has no place in the life of a Christian. A great prescription for us tonight is joy. Paul wrote to the Philippian church about joy. Read joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And don't get those reversed. Now, I've run all around this. I guess prescription's not going to make it up there. Is it, is it a... Cameron, there we go. I've run all around this, and I want to end with a story that drives us home. You see, it has to do with our mindset. It has to do with how we view other people, and it has to do with how we view ourselves. One night, John was on his way home from work. Picked up a hitchhiker. And as they talked, he saw how dirty and grubby the guy was. He began to get suspicious of the hitchhiker. His coat was laying on the seat between him and this, his rider. And he decided that probably what he should do is make sure that his wallet in that coat was okay, was safe. He reached over there, and it was not there. Well, you know what he did. He stopped that car and ordered the man out, and he said, Give me the wallet right now. The man gave him a wallet, got out. He went home, walked in the front door, went to tell his wife, 
you know what happened to me? And she said, before you say anything, I need to tell you something. This morning you left your wallet on the dresser in the bedroom. You'll get it on the way home. The truth is, is that aren't we like that? That because somebody doesn't look like us, somebody doesn't act like us and walk like us and talk like us. Certainly, they're the ones that needs the Lord. But the man who comes in in the big suit, the big car, surely he's got everything he needs. God blessed him. Brothers and sisters, let me just say this to us. All people, red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, thin, fat, down and in, up and out, they need the Lord. And if we don't give them what we're supposed to have, they will never receive Him.